Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today with a very special guest, longtime friend, Seville Lavingia, uh, founder and CEO of Gumroad. Sahil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, and former roommate too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Little known fact. Great times. So for people who, who do not know, um, you wrote this, well, one, you've been running Gumroad for eight or so years, maybe perhaps yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, two, you also uh, wrote this post last year that went epically viral. What, what was the name of that post? The name of the post was Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. Yeah. But by way of introduction, why don't you sort of unpack the, the main points of uh, of that post because they, they uh, sort of encapsulate your, your journey uh, a, little, a little bit and then we'll yeah. get into some of the specific topics. Totally. So the, the post was basically trying to recap, it was really reflecting on the eight-year journey I had from the idea, having the idea for Gumroad that I thought at the time was going to be a billion dollar company. Uh, all the way through where I am kind of now, which is running it as like a, a great business. Some might refer to it as a lifestyle business, a great business that's, you know, doing $7 million a year growing tiny team, but isn't the venture backed rocket ship that we raised $10 million from Kleiner and Max Levchin and Naval to go out and do. And so it was really just like for me, like I would have conversations with people like my mom and it was just now you know recently and they no one knew what had happened because it was like all great and then it wasn't and i was really loud and proud when it was great and active on twitter and all these things and then i wasn't i was kind of like i moved to provo left san francisco and everyone was like yeah where where's you know what happened uh and so four years you know or three three or four years into that i was like i should probably just like correct the record and like all these different ideas and stories that people had in their head and the sort of telephone game people had been playing. I was like, I'm, let me just tell you what actually happened. Yeah. I've had sort of enough distance now. And then also use it as like a way to kind of just reflect on this idea. I think that resonated with people about just like goal setting and like why yeah. that sort of billion dollar company ideal is even exists, you know, this whole unicorn sort of yeah. vernacular and just unpacking that sort of sort of like my personal journey and then how that kind of ties into the yeah. sort of societal yeah bits of that as well. so let's uh, let's get into it maybe you can reflect on you know what what happened at, at gum road and then what are some of the sort of personal takeaways you, you had from that yeah so what happened was you know in 2011 i was uh, an early employee at pinterest and i had this idea for gum road i wanted to sell this pencil icon i'd i'd made one friday night and i had a Twitter audience and a dribble account. And I was like, okay, cool. I have an audience. I have this thing I want to sell to them. Like, let me just do that. And then I couldn't like, there was just no real easy way to do this. This is sort of like pre stripe even. And you know, early 2011 and, and you were like 18 at the time. I was, yeah. 18 or 19. I think 18. Yeah. I think 18. And, uh, so yeah, that Friday, I was, that was Friday night. And I was like, I can build this in a weekend, like super simple. Like, you know, all I want is basically bitly with credit card form in between. That was kind of the, the, the X for Y in a sense. And so I built it that weekend, launched it Monday morning, went to the top of Hacker News, 50,000 people saw it. It was a weird day at the office for sure. Uh, I, you know, I just kind of, kind of very quickly got emails from investors and I was like, I could do this as like a thing on its own. So I did that. I left Pinterest before my 
stock vested, which is kind of an important point and how I actually begin the essay because I really wanted to kind of sort of put all this in context on, on like what I thought Gumroad was going to be enough to, you know, give up my stock as a second employee of, of Pinterest. Yeah. So I left, raised a million bucks in a seed round from a bunch of investors, uh, Silicon Valley people, and then a $7 million series A from Kleiner Perkins three or four months later, a $28 million valuation as like a 19 year old solo founder. So I was like the, yeah, I don't know, the wonderkin yeah, kind of story that totally. you hear about, especially when I, you know, I didn't grow up in, in the U S even. So it was like the story that I had heard and it happened so fast. And so I think people just kind of thought I was this kind of person. And then you know, three, three, four years trying to be that didn't grow fast enough. Couldn't raise a series B had to do a round of layoffs from 20 people to five, then five to one, basically just me running the ship, keeping things afloat while the revenues kind of grew just enough to kind of hire one person and then two people yeah. and then three people. I have a lot of respect for people that, you know, have bootstrapped or have done the sort of self-funded approach because it's really hard to build a business just off its own revenues. Like it, it really like gives me a sense of like the value of money. When you raise 8 million bucks, like I did, and then $2 million bridge so over $10 million in, in venture, like sometimes you forget like how much money that really is, and especially in San Francisco when that money can go really fast. Yeah. You know, at our peak, we were burning probably $350,000 a month. Wow. You know, our office space was $25,000 a month. Now it would probably be $50,000 a month. You know, that was five years ago and the mission. And when you leave San Francisco, these numbers, they just blow people's brains. And so that was one big lesson I learned was like money goes way farther. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of these lessons, I think, and this was one of the worries I had writing that post was like, is this obvious? Yeah. Like you shouldn't try to maybe tie your identity and self-worth to building a unicorn because very few people do that ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, 50 a year versus 500,000 businesses that get started in the U.S. every year. So it's a, it's, it's sort of a lower percentage than like NBA players from high school, you know, like it's a small fraction. Yeah. It was just kind of like this. It was, it was hard to be like, I'm going to say all these things that everyone kind of knows, but I guess the, the response was like, maybe, yeah. maybe we don't know where we kind of, we're all, we all kind of know, but we don't right. acknowledge it. You know, sometimes yeah. like I remember I went to startup school and, and Ben Horowitz was, was speaking and he said this exact thing. He's like the, the chance of you building a really successful startup is lower than the chance of a, a really great high school basketball player becoming playing in the NBA ever. Not like you would never know their name. They'd make $200,000 or less a year. Like you, it's very low. Your chance is lower. Nobody in the audience flinched. It was just like, cool, let's go. Let's do this. Right. And that, that to me is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's great that people are so passionate about it, but it's also like, you know, we, there may be, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what I said in the post. Like everyone kind of talks about the high failure rate. But when it happens to you, when you're one of, when that number is now rea your life, yeah. it's, it's, you know, TechCrunch is, you know, you're on the front page of TechCrunch for, for a round of layoffs, not for raising money. Uh, well, when you raise a series A from Kleiner Perkins, you, you think you can do it, right? Or yeah. your odds are much better. You're, <laughs> but, you're, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, you're, you're, you, there's a narrative that you've seen play out and you're slowly checking the boxes, right? So you're like, okay, cool. I raised a bunch of money from these people. Okay. I raised a series A from this firm. Okay. I hired these great people okay, we grew this much, you know, I think the one problem with that is, is you, you, you start believing that you're like that character on the TV show yeah. in a way. And it's like, I don't know how far you can get, yeah. but most people still don't get to the, every step has like a huge drop off. Right. Yeah. And so it's not, yeah, it's a, just a, it's just, it's good to keep that in mind. I think. Totally. Why do you think growth stalled? 
that, that when you're, or how yeah. do you reflect on it? I mean, I think, I think we hit a ceiling in the market. Uh, and so, yeah, we, you know, we were building Gumroad for folks that don't know, you know, started out as Billy for credit card with a credit card form, but really it's just like, how do we make it super simple for creators to sell their digital products directly to their audience? And I think we tackled a market that really needed this problem and it just, but it wasn't that big. And so we were helping people sell like eBooks and PDFs and videos and things like that. Uh, and in this sort of like super democratized way. So it was like direct to audience, you do it. And I think, you know, we believed in this, uh, because one of the sort of core assumptions that we had was like YouTube and, and, and Twitter and, and Reddit and all these social media platforms were going to make it super easy for people to own their own audiences. And so like, therefore, like the next step is going to be transacting directly and, and cutting out the middleman, whether that be, you know, a marketplace or a label or a publisher. And we didn't see that happen really. It happened for a group of people for sure. Uh, typically entrepreneurial people already. Yeah. Right. Like some, one of them is like Nathan Barry, who now runs ConvertKit, which is a $20 million a year business. So a lot of them just to, to, I think one of the big learnings we had is for a creator to, to, to go from musician to running a business that sells music from one artist, which is effectively what you have to do to make that jump is a huge jump that very few people are ready to make. And that's why labels, publishers, Netflix, Masterclass have done, I think, so well. Amazon, because they, they sort of, I think, deeply recognize that there is a lot of value to even just the security of it, right? Like most, most musicians, you say, Hey, here's 50 grand would take that deal. Uh, whereas, whereas, and you know, my bias was like, as a founder, I'm like, no, I want to, I want, you know, I'm doing a high risk thing. Like I want to own as much as possible and see how far I can take this and really, you know, that just that entrepreneurial mindset. I think I almost had too much of that. Like I was kind of projecting it on creators in a way that, um, maybe I shouldn't have. And I also just think in general, we were too early. I think now you're seeing the creator economy and the passion economy and, you know, services like Patreon and, and Teachable are certainly bigger than, than Gumroad now, but honestly, not that much bigger. You know, we we're going to process around a hundred million dollars and Patreon processes around $500 million a year. So it's a, the same order, you know, five X, right. Um, they have 170 employees. We have, you know, five to 10. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. It's a bit, it's a, it's a, it's really important. I think to really like, do a little bit of the math on like how, how big is this opportunity now? Because we all believe it's going to be huge in 10 years. I think podcasting certainly falls into that category, I think, but you know, it's like, well, how do you plan to get there? You yeah. need to be alive in 10 years to see it through. Right. Which totally. is, which is very different, especially if you, if you intend to do it with venture dollars that yeah. requires a certain rate of growth every year totally. um, and a certain sort of like growth within time frame that might change the equation a little bit. Yeah. So let's get into this, this space a little bit. You know, Lee Jin, uh, who's a mutual friend is now, um, you know, is, is writing about the passion economy and, and people are really excited about the space again. And, and Patreon has, has raised some money. There's been some, you know, speculation on how they're doing and their other business, Substack has uh, raised some money. And yeah. it must be interesting to see, sort of see a renaissance in the space, you know, many years after yeah. you started it and, and a few years after you, considered it, hey, maybe yeah, a dead end in some sense, or hey, maybe yeah. this is not going to be my life's work. Yeah, um, totally. How, how do you sort of make sense of the, of the macro space, uh, how it's evolved, and uh, and maybe how, how you see it differently from how other people see it, perhaps? It is small. And I think one one context I have is like when I started it, it was Gumroad really launched around the same time as, as Stripe did, which was like we were a customer of. And so I could kind of track, and I was friends with, with John at the time. And uh, so I could kind of track 
you know, the, the growth of each thing. And we were actually growing, I feel like similarly, um, at least in the very, very early days, yeah. right? Because we were a, sort of like a more marketplace e-commerce business. And they were just taking this you know, payments yeah. company, but their customers were way, were Gumroad, right? And so like when you go, when, if we double and another one of their customers double, Stripe quadruples, right? And so I think just even, even in sort of a super basic context, like really understanding like what your growth is going to look like, um, is really, really important. I think seeing some of these companies, uh, sort of rise, um, I don't, I don't, I honestly am just like waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, I don't want to be super jaded and be like, look, it's not going to work out for these people because I tried that you know, and it didn't work. Like they're going to have, you know, the cynic in me would say something like, you know, they're, they're going to have like two, three, four years of like great growth. And then they're going to sort of plateau. Like how many people really, you know, are going to be able to make a living on a, on a newsletter, you know, is, and, and I think the true answer is like, no one really knows, right. No one really knows what journalism is going to look like in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and that's the beauty I think of venture capital is you sort of like place all these bets. It's, you know, what Mark Andreessen says, like baking a cake in three minutes, right? Like you just put it in the oven and you just like, yeah. you just see what happens because no one really knows, like, is the coronavirus going to send every journalist home yeah. for two years? And then they're just going to, you know, do local. I don't know. Like no one, no one really knows. Uh, I think, uh, Patreon is a really interesting one because it's sort of the largest and they have had relatively consistent growth over time. I've heard rumors of them having great and not great yeah. times. I think my, my guess is that like where Gumroad failed to make the bar and maybe if we had raised money, we would have been in a better place. I think Patreon is probably doing better, but not insanely much better, yeah. right? For similar reasons, if you're processing, you can do the rough math on it. And if you're processing $500 million a year with the their take rate, like you're making uh, something like $25 million a year in revenue with 170 employees raised $170 million in capital, they're probably not like a VC darling, but they are like an incredibly meaningful company. And it's a lot of it is about time. If they like, how long is it going to take? And if they grow 50% year over year for another five to 10 years, they will be a meaningful company. Will they ever be Stripe? Probably not. Right. And so a lot of that is also just like expectation setting on like, what is the type of company? And that's something that I try to tell everybody is, uh, is like, if you're building for creators, creators, like if you look at a creator's life cycle, so Stripe is building for, Gumroad. Yeah. Gumroad's life cycle is like a, you know, maybe like a 10 year sort of VC yeah. sort of thing. There's a lot of alignment there, right? If you're building for creators, like a musician, designer, artist, filmmaker, you might have a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year career. I mean, yeah. you, you know, we were talking about stand up right before this and you can read like Steve Martin's Born Standing Up and it's, or any of these comedians really. And like they're talking about like performing, you know, in the seventies or, yeah. you know, even earlier. Like it takes so long, um, in certain fields. Right. To, to build, uh, even an email list that you could, and an audience that you could sort of monetize directly, like, uh, like Aziz Ansari, um, has done. But how many people are at that scale? Like, probably not that many. And now Netflix has come and taken over the top of that. So that's one concern I do think is really important to address. Uh, we've seen this a lot is we, we really thought we were going to see this sort of democratization and decentralization of a lot of these industries. But we've almost seen the opposite where, a lot of these companies like Amazon and Netflix uh, have come in and just and Disney and sort of taken the top spot. So when a creator gets big enough, they get a contract from, you know, a publisher or a label or someone that's like, here's just so much money. You can't say no to this. And that just, they, they, when you have a graduation problem like that, it's really tricky to build a really sort of sizable business because every time you get, you get someone who's big enough and starts giving you a lot of money, they leave. 
So you're, it's like you're building like B2B software without the, the, the without, without Fortune 500 companies allowed to like that are, you know, like you, that overlap doesn't work. And that's really tricky. And so I think that's super important is like to figure out how do you solve that graduation problem. I think Shopify has been able to get past it. I think that was a big concern for Shopify. They were kind of stuck at that one to $4 billion valuation for a long time, IPO'd around that level. And no one, I think 10 years ago would have been like Shopify is going to be a $45 billion company today, but they figured that out. They got have all birds using Shopify. They're doing $100 million a year in revenue. I don't think 10 years ago you would have been able to say that. So I think it really depends on if you're going to be able to keep these folks engaged and on the platform. And if you can, then certainly you can build build a business like that. But that verticalization was was brutal for us because we'd worked super hard on getting somebody like an author and then... You know, Kindle comes through and takes 90% of the ebook and now audiobook, they own Audible as well, market. And you're just like, what do, what do you do? Like, if, you, if you're building for, for authors, that 10%, if you're building for the movie filmmaking industry, but not for Disney, yeah. like, you're not looking at these huge industries. You're looking at a tiny, tiny right. uh, segment of it. And so that's really, really tricky. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of the things that sort of some of the assumptions that I had, I think, going into it and it's kind of how they didn't exactly work. Yeah. Um, but now we're, you know, we're $7 million a year, processing $100 million, growing 60%, which is faster than we've grown since 2014. Uh, and so it's to what, happening. And to what do you create? Like, what kinds of creators are you getting? How are you reaching that? Yeah. So I think the big the big vertical we're seeing is education. And so that's... Teachers um, or tutors or... All sorts of educators, uh, like teachers, tutors, fitness trainers, personal trainers, uh, yoga instructors, meditation, like podcasters. Like, I think... At the end of the day, people, when people spend money, often they want money back, maybe in like a deferred way. And so learning a skill is a great way to do that. I think if you see a lot of the podcasts, I, I sort of, I don't, I'm sure I didn't coin this, but I, I call it edutain, edutainment, right? Which is like, it's entertainment. It's interesting. It's funny, et cetera. But there's an educational component to it uh, that's sort of like hidden in there. And I think documentaries fall into that category. And that's the stuff that does super, super well on Gumroad. When there's like a personality, there's a point of view, yeah. but there's also something that you expect to learn out of this process. And you're seeing that, I think, across the board. You know, we, if you look at our sort of music, sound, audio verticals, you're not seeing a lot of musicians. You, you have, we have a couple independent musicians that do really well and sort of are purely funded on Gumroad and, and do tours and everything like that. YouTubers, et cetera, but a huge amount. If you look at the YouTubers that are killing it on, on Patreon or Teachable or Gumroad, even Substack, right? Like a lot of them are, are providing value. There's a very clear, like, this is what you're going to get out of this 10 bucks a month, five bucks a month, $1 a month. It's really a retail experience. It's patronage is, I think, kind of a misnomer because it implies sort of just like pure charity. But even Kickstarter, I think they started out as a more of like that angle. But now, you know, Kickstarter is, is basically like a sort of a unique retail experience. Uh, no matter how much they might not want that, that's what it is. And, and that's fine because I think long term, those are the businesses that do really well. It's yeah. you pay for value, you get value back. As long as the value is happening, the transactions will keep coming. In general, people just don't have, I think, enough disposable income nor want to give it to people that if they want to, if they want to be charitable, they'll help people that really are in need, I think. Yeah. Right. And so that's, uh, when I talk to creators and I talk to a lot of them, that's always the thing I say is like, what do you, what do you have to offer? Right. You can't just be an amazing musician, amazing artist. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's more common to see an amazing musician make a living as a guitar teacher yeah. than as a musician. Right. And that's been true since before the internet. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, okay, the internet is probably not going to fundamentally change that. It's just going to enhance what was already happening. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a lot of what you're seeing. Uh, and then of course there's like the kind of like 
sort of adult photography, which is massive. Only fans, um, and even on Patreon, it's like, like it's a huge percentage of, of that, of these platforms is, is people paying for, I don't know what you, what you would call it, not pornography, but adult content. Yeah. I heard Patreon's switched from a marketplace to a sort of like more tool tooling yeah. company. Yeah. So I think that's the, we've, we've made a kind of a similar transition. We've actually kind of come back from that a little bit, but yeah, we, that, that's certainly an approach. Right? And I think that's, that's part of what we were talking about before around the graduation problem, which is like, if you want Taylor Swift to use Patreon, how are you going to get that to happen? She probably doesn't care too much about a marketplace where you can discover musicians. Uh, she probably wants actually not that at all. Uh, and so if you're, if it really depends who you're building for. And if you're building for sort of what we call the zero to one, sort of to, to quote Peter Thiel, the zero to one creators who are just getting started, um, you're going to build very different tool set and features than if you're building for like that. You know, it's kind of like you're going from from B to B to C to B to B. Yeah. They're just sort of fundamentally different. Yeah, do you build for the long tail or the stars? Exactly, exactly. And if you want to, the truth is, if you want to make a lot of money, you have to build for the stars because, yeah. as I mentioned, like Disney is seventy five percent of the box office. So just like if you're not building for them, yeah, like you're building for already twenty five percent, and th- that twenty five percent is not nearly as centralized as you know. It's very so fragmented. Who builds for the stars? I guess the entertainment studios, and maybe the hope is that these businesses. Get capture the stars early and then they have loyalty or I, I don't, I don't know where it goes, honestly. I mean, one of the reasons we, we, you know, cause we could have taken another path, which was we could have maybe sold to, to Patreon. We had uh, uh, some of those early conversations or we could have maybe downsized not as drastically and, yeah. and sort of maybe raise a little bit of money. And, and, but for me, I just like, I was just like, I cannot pretend that I know where this is going and raising more money would, would, I would just need more surety. Uh, and, and keeping a team and all these sorts of things, reward, you know, giving people equity grants and things like that. I was like, I just don't know. Um, and I still don't really know four or five years later. I think it's, it's going to be really tricky. I mean, I think, uh, I think consumer behavior is, is not where creators want it to be. People are typically, uh, in this sort of like, I think they go into, you know, they just want to watch TV, TikTok, yeah. YouTube. They're watching these really, they want social, you know, a sort of social value, right? So they're following the same creators their friends are following so they can talk to them at school and things like that. Uh, and that is just one, it's not great for long tail creators, but two, it's just really difficult to build businesses for them because yeah. as the money keeps flowing up, it just, it's really hard to, to, to say, look, it makes sense for us, uh, to build for, for this huge group of people. Cause not only are there many of them that they're making very little, there's a ton of support costs, maintenance costs onboarding risk when you're building for a smaller group of clients businesses you know there's you you can reduce a lot of those costs actually right and so i think that's another reason patreon has had that split pricing model now and funnel people into these different paths is to avoid you know all these people we you know so much of our support is like people that make five bucks and will email us like 15 times about it which is great we want to help them do that and you know just the way i'm building gumroad i'm i'm okay serving these zero to one people I think what we're seeing is these stars that inevitably do get big enough, they just get picked up by Disney or Amazon or HBO or Quibi. Quibi has been going all through Hollywood and just offering people tons and tons of money, millions of dollars, just because they're famous to be like, Hey, you have a show on Quibi, you know? And when you, when you, it's hard to compete with money, right? Because what we tell creators is like, we don't, we're not going to give you any money. (laughs) We don't have a capital program. But you can spend years building your audience and maybe you'll make a living someday. And it's like, 
a lot of creators like they don't you know so it's 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 really it's really hard and and i do think i just have a lot more respect it's so easy to 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 say oh labels are stupid or old school and they're dumb but like to really recognize their the value that they provide to their artists there is a lot there you know there is a lot there uh, and it's similar to venture in that way where like you know venture yeah like has a super high failure rate in general the the wins pay for all the losses yeah um that's that's sort of true i think in entertainment as well you know taylor swift and harry potter sort of pay for a lot of uh of things that don't get there but yeah it's, it gets it's like how do you get into that how do you how do you, it also it's like it's sort of existential question is like can you change that can yeah. can technology change that power law right Will the long tail ever be worth more than the stars? You know, is that, is that possible? And I think we thought it was possible. I really believe social media would maybe do that, but I don't know. I think TBD, TBD. Um, I hope so. I mean, I, I really do hope so. Um, I think local news could certainly use it. Like there are a lot of these industries that would, I think, I think would really benefit from it. Um, and you know, the belief that we had was, you know, if we give everyone the tools, then at least they're, they're not, at a disadvantage on the toolkit, right? Because labels might have all this phenomenal analytics and data tools and, and we can give that to creators. But I think that might fix the creator side of things, but the harder problem is, is the consumer behavior. One thing I want to, I want to touch on is that you, and you've thought quite a bit about it is um, how do you think about how creators should build business on top of Gumroad or on top of Patreon or, or just the, uh, the, the business perspective from a creator itself and how that's different from how, uh, some of these other people are thinking about it in terms of passion economy or, or elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we look at our creators like mini businesses, right? And I think the, that is definitely a trend that I think will continue to happen is the, is the line between uh, a business and a, and a human being, a business and a creator will continue to shrink and blur and disappear entirely. I think one day as, as it gets easier and easier to build a business, like it just requires less. And so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the, that's one of the reasons I think we, we've started opening up the financials and doing a lot of this stuff is to really hopefully teach people, you know, you could look at art like a business and there's a lot to learn from, from people who build businesses and entrepreneurs and startups and VCs even, uh, God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's, I always, I always tell creators like the, you know, like the, the, something better than a starving artist would be a well-fed artist and like the idea that you have to be depressed and poor and all these things to be a really great artist you know alcoholic etc is just not true really those might make the headlines and the stories but in general that's not really true and so yeah i think having your stuff in order like thinking about it like okay like how do you where do you want to be how do you get back from that you're not probably raising money but you are raising money from customers like how do you plan to do that what value are you going to offer how are you thinking about your market um, you know, when I talk to creators, a lot of them are like, I want to be a musician. I want to be a full-time musician. I want to be a filmmaker. Uh, and I'm always like, well, who, like for who, I mean, that's a huge, you know, that would be like, I want to be a founder. Yeah. I want to be, I get those DMs sometimes. I want to be a founder. I'm like, cool. I mean, like of a country and like, what, where, you know, for what, who do you care about? And I think these are, you know, these are things that you, maybe you're, you're far away from. So you have, they all looks kind of the same, uh, just like startups might to someone who's not in it. But as you get closer, you realize like, oh, filmmakers, there's documentary filmmakers, there's sci-fi filmmakers, there's short film, there's long film. There's so many forms of film. There's straight to theater. There's straight to, uh, to, to like VOD. There's all TV OD. There's hotel OD, like things that people make specifically for hotel syndication. Like all these things go into it, you know, toys, franchising, like there's so many layers to this stuff. Uh, and so I think one is just like 
I always tell people get really interested in business because building an audience, these things apply across the board, no matter what you want to do as a creator. Uh, and so, yeah, thinking about, you know, there's basically three things like who your audience is, what you're going to build for them. Um, how are you going to help make their lives easier? Um, which I sort of categorize into two things. You can make them, make it easier to enjoy life. Like you can make cool stuff for people and then you can make things for people to help them endure life. You know, you can teach people how to meditate or play uh, an instrument or, or do some of these other things. And so, yeah, it's sort of the education versus entertainment, but really pick like who, what do you want to make? How do you think about that? What do you want to teach? A lot of what I ask, ask people is like, you know, where were you 10 years ago? What do you wish you would have known? Kind of like when I wrote that post, I was kind of talking to maybe 19 year old, 18 year old, 17 year old Sahil saying, Hey, keep these things in mind. You know, some of your naivety is good. Like keep going with that, but maybe, you know, watch out a little bit. Uh, and that, you know, and, and the great thing about the internet is you can, you can talk to yourself and everyone else can listen similar to this podcast. Right. And so I think that's a really good framing for all creators, right. Which is like, what do you wish you would have known? How do you save that person time to get to where you are and maybe a few headaches and a few stress, stress points. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is like, it kind of sounds really simple, but it's like, just really be mindful about what you're doing don't just build willy-nilly but really like have a plan have a strategy read business books like really think about how successful people think and that applies across the board i think this is why naval has sort of found so much success globally really um across the industries because he's been able to i think take some of the lessons from technology and tech and 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 sort of like generalize them in a way that's really pithy but digestible gets in your head and doesn't leave for a while and that's what people i think uh, need more of honestly because at the end of the day like you know we we invested a lot of, when we had a lot of venture capital money like we we had all these initiatives around content marketing and education and events and we did really great with that uh, but honestly like the most important thing creators need is just like a, a belief that they can do it you know it's one it's it's not that hard it's a lot harder in a, in a weird way like there's not much there it's not like building a business like you need right. to know how to pay your tax like there's you'll get help but psychologically and like just like the, the, the time it might take, the, like the psychological burden of it, it there, there's a lot there. that And so that's kind of why I always just tell people like you just need to start. Whether you're starting a business, you're starting a startup, you want to do any of these things, you're not really going to know what you need to know until you start. Right. And as long as you give yourself some time, you know, like you give yourself some runway or some whatever to figure things out, like – that's probably better than reading another book, watching another set of YouTube videos. I think it's really easy to get into that trap. Like I've been writing sci-fi to sort of indulge my own creative passions. And it's just, there's, there's a great podcast called writing excuses and sort of like the meta joke is like, you're, you're listening to this podcast because you don't want to write because writing is hard. But unfortunately, if you want to get good at plot and characters, arcs and uh, theme and all these things, like it's kind of like going to the gym. Like you're not going to get better at playing basketball watching the NBA. You can pretend like you are, but above a baseline level of knowledge you might gain from something like that. You should probably be playing the sport. And also just be 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 realistic, right? Like if you really want to be a musician, uh, you should probably learn an instrument. If you want to learn, if you want to build a, a, a deep technology startup, you should probably learn to code. I'm not saying everyone has to learn to code or even do that, but. Just be realistic about what it takes and also look at what other people have done, where they were, what they learned to do it. And just, you know, sort of just like look at the raw statistics on it 
uh, most really successful, successful musicians like know how to play an instrument. So you should probably do that too. And yes, there is a lot of privilege and survivorship bias and all of these things that go into it. And every time I tweet something slightly too vague, people remind me, but you know, it's, it's, and it's true. Like this stuff exists. And, and, and so you shouldn't just totally focus on your craft, but it is like the most important thing is just, is figuring out what you need to be able to do. Um, like Gumroad, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, you were early at Pinterest. Like you, you know, had all these things, but I was writing a blog for a long time. I learned to code. I learned to design. I didn't get a job at Pinterest because I like, I, I got it because I could build stuff, right? Like there's like, it was a very sort of functional value exchange happening there. And ultimately, privilege and all these things don't remove hard work from needing to be done, right? That's still a, sort of like a, a requirement in most cases, right? I, th- I would say. And so I think that's just like, you know, there's, there's just no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. And you might have to work more than 40 hours a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it feels good. Yeah. Hopefully um, it's satisfying and it gives you the lifestyle that you want. But, yeah. you know, I think it's just, yeah, it's just, I think the, 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 the sort of like the, I guess meta wise, but like when you look at content, you look at films and you, and, and you, you see maybe like a, a too clean version of maybe what happens. And sometimes it's just, it's like a lot of dirty work. You know, a lot of people ask me, like, how did you get the first few customers for Gumroad? Emails, like cold emails, right? Like, oh, it's a creator that sells something using PayPal button on their, uh, on their website. Like, let's email them and get them to use Gumroad instead. How did you get your first thousand? Like, also still emails like 10,000, maybe like 4,000 of them were cold. You know, it's like, it starts to change, but it's like, it really is kind of like pushing a boulder up a hill and it just takes like, no one cares about you. Right. Like, you know, the first person who's going to back your Kickstarter is going to be your mom, then your family, then your friends. What are the first round that starter story is called friends and family rounds? Like who's going to buy your album, your friends, like you just, it is what it is. It's not bad. You know, it just, People don't care. People are busy living their lives and you kind of have to shove your stuff in their face and be like, this is really cool. And then they will ignore you for a while. And then you keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And after a while, people remember your logo or your name. And maybe three years later when they're finally ready to sell a product, they're like, oh, Gumroad, that's that dude who tweets all that stuff all the time. Like maybe I should, you know, like, but that's what it, that's what marketing is, right? Like if you... Uh, if you get, if you get into grill marketing or any of these things, it's, it takes a long time to build a brand. There's a reason that, you know, a lot of people, are, I remember when I was a kid, it was like, does McDonald's really need us to do this? Like, do they really need to spend this much money on it? Like, I know what McDonald's is. I'm never going to forget, but maybe they do, right? Like maybe I would forget. Maybe it would be weird if I stopped seeing McDonald's everywhere, you know, and it's easy to say ads don't work or whatever, but like I brush my teeth with Colgate. Why? Because I walked into a store, I assume at some point, or my parents did or whatever, and I copied them. But, you know, like, I knew it probably wasn't going to kill me, right? Like, there's because, you know, and so there's just understanding business, like business, marketing, finance, legal operations. Being genuinely interested in that is important because so much of building a business and being a creator. So I a great tweet the other day, which is like, no one told me the more successful I am, the more emails I have to answer, (laughs) which is true. It's like basically like, Life is not that interesting. There's a lot of cooking and cleaning and emails and taxes and relationship fights. And like, it's just, and that's, it's great. It's awesome. It's complicated. It's hard. It's not as nearly as as sexy as you might think. And that might suck initially because you might have this ideal and then you'll realize it's actually better than the thing you would have wanted. It's kind of like, I remember I grew up in Singapore where people don't smoke weed very often. 
and uh, you get caned. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Uh, but you know, I got here and it was like all my friends were like, we we met back in Singapore and it was like everyone was obsessed with this idea of doing it and then being like, that was it. Yeah. You know, because you know, like you watch all these movies and you think like it's going to be this grand thing, and then it just you know just just lower your expectations like keep yeah. you know uh it's it's probably there's no secrets i guess i guess with any of these topics like you it's not like you're gonna get to the other side you're gonna raise money you're gonna uh be a successful creator and you're gonna have all these secrets that you yeah. like that you wish the tenure you know, it's not like you're gonna have that just like you you might read that that medium post i wrote and it's you might be like oh yeah of course yeah but that's what it is. And that's what it's, you know, that's what a startup is. People ask me, how was it being second employee at Pinterest? And I was like, it was just like four or five people in a room yeah. in Palo Alto. And we had like some laptops and iMacs and we just like wrote code and pushed it to some servers on Amazon. Yeah. And like a lot of people use the website every month. You know, it was just, yeah, it's not me being snarky. Uh, it's just like, that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it is that that's all it needed to be. We didn't need supercomputers. We didn't need security. We didn't need any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that stuff comes later when you need it. Just like you, you see like the – I remember volunteering for the Bernie Sanders political campaign in 2015 or 16, 2016, I guess. And it was just like there's nothing here. Yeah. Just like a dude running around with a few people behind him <laughs> trying to be the most powerful person on planet Earth. That's, but that's what it is. That's, that's it. That's what people are doing right now. Right. Uh, there's not that much more. That's why people like Steyer and Bloomberg that don't maybe haven't done this. I guess Bloomberg was mayor of New York, whatever, but you know, you can get into it or Bernie was able to get into it as a senator from Vermont or whatever. It's just like there, you can figure it out. It's possible, but you're not going to figure it out unless you believe you can. Yeah. That's always step one. Yeah. You know, and I was lucky, I think as, as I, as I, as a kid, like, I think I, you know, my parents were immigrants from India to, to the U.S. And they like, basically like their whole life was like setting me and my brother up for being able to believe we could do anything. Uh, and so that was ingrained to me in the early ages. Like the world is your oyster. Like you can yeah. do whatever you want. Like you can, you can bend, you know, you can manifest whatever the terminology you want to use. It's, it's up to you. Right. Not entirely true. You know, there, there are, uh, complications to that. And certainly, like, I don't want to mitigate, like, privilege and racism and sexism and all these things that do really exist. But even if they exist, you almost need to kind of believe that they don't affect you. Like, that you're going to get through it all because, like, that's just what you need to believe, you know, to, to get all the way through because it is brutal. It is really hard. And, you know, if you don't believe that, you will probably not make it all the way, you know, you kind of need that kind of irrational. Uh, optimistic viewpoint right you talk to all these founders like some people tell me all the time like how are you so optimistic and it's like i forced myself to be like it's like work (laughs) uh you can do it you can look at you can watch a movie you can look at the good parts before the bad parts you can like really uh enjoy life like as a you know over time and i used to be super cynical and i was like this is not serving me at all like i need to be more optimistic and you look at most of these founders like they're pretty optimistic people. Yeah. Like you, you listen to Elon talk or, yeah, um, just like joyful, like yeah. ch- childlike joy, yeah. because that's what you need to believe. You need to believe that you're looking at, I think humanity as a child that has yeah. so much potential because what like, otherwise it's like, you think he would be doing what he's doing right now? Uh, I'm sure he's gone through so much stuff that we don't even know. Yeah. Like, do you think he would do that if he thought humanity was going to go out in 10, 5, 15 years because of climate change or something like that or nukes or whatever? Like, no. You know, he'd hang it up. He'd spend his $45 billion that he has now and 
or if he's, I don't know if he's capable of doing that, maybe not, but you know, like it, it, if, I do think it's, it's healthy to believe that there's more, right. that we're early days, yeah. you know, otherwise, you know, like people t- tell me now, like, oh, you were at, at Pinterest so early uh, and that was a perfect time to move to Silicon Valley with all these companies happening. And I'm like, could be like, people told me in 2011 to raise money because it was going to get worse. <laughs> they told me that in 2012, 2013, maybe avoided telling me that in 2014, 2015, <laughs> you know, like it's only, it's, it's the best time right now. Uh, and people have been saying that for a long time. And so you never know, I think, right? You just, you know, you have a certain set of hand, uh, cards in your, in your hand and you play them as best as you can. You preserve optionality and you move forward. You don't, you don't look back too often. I want to touch on a couple of things you mentioned. One is you, you might've triggered millions of people by saying you you might have to work more than 40 hours a week. (laughs) uh, The other thing you mentioned is of course, creators can learn from technologists and CEOs and business people, but what can they really learn from VCs besides pontificating and humble bragging? Uh, As it is, as a segue to the next question, feel free to answer those individually, but post your piece, which sort of fast forward, you have experienced this ego death, you get, get in touch with yourself, you, you grow a lot, you sort of, uh, think that you're sunsetting Gumroad in some capacity, but it starts to grow and you start to develop a new philosophy of business and it starts to, to grow and you, there's sort of a happy ending, um, that you're still living through. Um, but you, you know, a few days later, there's sort of a New York Times article about, you know, VC and founders and, and your story a lot is often used to describe like, the downsides of sometimes raising VC. Of course, you have the idea of, hey, sometimes it makes sense to raise VC. Sometimes it, it makes sense not to. Uh, you want to create safe spaces for, for people to do both. But I'm curious where you sort of net out on what types of businesses or founders should should raise capital VC versus, versus not. And feel free to answer any of those. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think the first point to acknowledge is like I raise money, you know. And so it's easy for me sometimes to say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. But I benefit from raising money totally. every day. You know, I can say I raise money from Kleiner Perkins and Naval yeah. and Max Levchin and Chris Saka for the rest of my life, yeah. Mark Cuban. Like, and that means something to a lot of people because, yeah. you know, I can say billion, billion dollar company is a stupid, arbitrary goal. But at the end of the day, there's a reason that is a goal. Yeah. Like wealth is, is often a good proxy yeah. for how much value you've created for society. Yeah. Some people might think it's a great proxy, terrible proxy. It's complicated. Some people think billionaires are evil. Some yeah. people don't. I, I would probably say anything that is a three-word statement is probably a generalization, and we should just kind of acknowledge that. So, yeah, I mean, I think the way I net out is, I mean, the, I think the, the 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 thing about VC is you should use it as a tool, yeah. and it can be a great tool, and it should be used for taking high-risk bets that are typically capital-intensive, right? And so I think if you're raising uh, or if you're building a business that you, you believe needs to to raise money, you should really uh, make sure that you you believe that strongly uh because you're selling a portion of your company i think you know we talk about it in terms of raising money but what you're doing is you're also the other side of that transaction is yeah. you're, you're selling your company right and so like are you willing to sell 10 20 30 percent of your company prices right now are really good why are they really good yeah. like because vcs want need to give you money like they need to allocate the money that they have and founders can get farther with less. And so the prices are going up because of the beauty, that's the beauty of technology and some of the innovations that have happened recently. Right. And so I think it's just, that's, you know, only going to continue, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think anything, I, I, I don't like to get moral about it. I think people, you see it on Twitter a lot. Like you might have a view that's like raising money and going, like trying to change the world. It's like the moral thing to do. Like that's your responsibility because, you know, people are in, uh, you know, dying and we need to like solve the you know their problems as soon as possible and then there's like sort of the other take which is like you're overworking people and like like venture capital has done nothing for the world and only done bad things for the world and 
I think I think both of those takes is 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 insane, and I th- I, I think would probably not really happen in an in person conversation. It, yeah. It's very effective on Twitter. I think I think of them like billboards, yeah. right? Like political ads in a sense. Like they're not really you're not going to go to court and argue this way, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, when things are on the line, when you have real skin in the game. So yeah, I think I think venture can be a great tool. Um, I think you should just really make sure you uh, should raise it. Like it typically means like you're you know you you have a high risk high reward business. Um, if there's no high reward, you're just shooting yourself on the foot. I I'd, I'd I'd say the best thing to do if you're thinking about raising money is is look at repeat founders who've raised money and watch them because people like me can talk all we want and pontificate all we want, but you should look at the actions of people that have the option to raise money after having done it. Some of them do raise money again. I'd say the trend that I noticed is they raise money. They raise a lot less. They might raise from founders more often and people that they feel like they get along with more. And then they go for a long time without raising money. And then if they really believe they've figured it out, their assumptions they've kind of tested, then they go out and raise, you know, 50 million bucks from Sequoia or Benchmarker or, or, uh, Andreessen or any of these firms because they've figured it out. They've decided this is the type of company I want to build. I'm going to need this capital to do it. But it is like, you know, it is like lighting a, a rocket on fire. Like you want, you kind of want to be sure you're pointing it at the right direction, in the right direction, right? Rapid fire. I want to say some topics and then I just want you go off on them. One is uh, winning poker with an open hand. Yeah. Uh, two is uh, time as a status symbol. Three is sort of uh, cities of uh, into colleges or exiting exiting society or how you think about that. Yeah. And the fourth is uh, uh, Twitter um, and, and why, where, you, where you get the value out of it and how you think about the yeah. scope of Twitter. Awesome. Cool. Four questions. All right. Poker with an open hand. So that's sort of referring, I think, to the open financials that I'm doing on Twitter and also just being super open with the por- public board meetings. I think with everything, you're trying to find that sort of the overlap in that Venn diagram between selflessness and selfishness. And so I want to really, truly help the world and add value, create value, um, and teach people how running a business happens and how it works and what it is. Um, and then selfishly, I want to build my brand, build Gumroad's brand. And it's sort of like this Gumroad just took such a weird path that I have this company that's sizable, but also has shed a lot of weight and so i can kind of just do weird stuff with it almost like a, a grand science experiment and just yeah. be like hey what happens if we publish the board meetings publish the financials do this do that very few people ever get to this point would ever yeah. want to do this yeah. you know and so it's kind of like i was you know i'm not trying to be uh say my way is the right way i'm just saying look i'm this is the over there's an overton window concept right it's like yeah. i'm just going to purposefully play the kind of extreme view on this and yeah. Just to experiment and yeah. see what every happens. spectrum needs extrem- extremists, as, as you as you write. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Every argument needs an extremist, um, and I mean, everyone will have one, right? You're setting whatever the whatever the most left and most right uh, sort of uh, versions of it are. Um, okay, so there's poker. There's time. Time is a status symbol. I think money has been the status symbol for a long time. It's universal. I think we'll move past that. I think um, one because I think we're like. Like with technology and all these things, you're getting to like a, a really nice quality of life that doesn't get better when you have billions of dollars. Yeah. It actually might get worse. And so I think what you'll have is, and you're also seeing, I think, societal pressure to, to billionaires are evil, like to get them yeah. to get rid of their money as soon as possible. Maybe they won't even be able to have it. Yeah. Maybe it will be illegal. Who knows? But certainly I think you'll see a shift kind of, I think Naval is maybe, maybe the forerunner of this, but like you're starting to see a shift. I think of like, look, freedom is the goal. Time is the goal. And let's be public and open about that. I think it's happening. Uh, but I think I, I think the shift we'll see is it will be like sort of socially acceptable. Yeah. Like I work 20 or less hours a week. 
I have not worked 40 hours a week since 2015 when I was working 60 to 80 hours a week. And I did for a long time. And what I saw is I had that graph in in that essay that you can check out, but it's basically the line under that. This is like the third one that went viral was, you know, there are times in here we had a team of 20 people working 60 hours a week. There are times in here it was just me working four hours a week. Thanks, Tim Ferriss. No change in that graph. You couldn't even tell where that was. And it was just, look, I have the data. Very few companies even get to run this experiment, whatever want to, but the the data shows that it doesn't really matter. I'm that guy polishing the, the, the floor for curling, right? Like I, I want to, I love it. I love doing it, but I also don't need to pretend that 60 hours a week is going to change the game to your point. Like there are definitely times where you should work really, really hard, really, really long. I think the idea that you should like working more than 40, that's, that's also as arbitrary as a billion dollar company, right? And certainly very many uh, successful people uh, do work really, really hard and would not have been able to get to where they were not doing that. Um, if you're doing it, like Jason Fried might say as, as a, as a sort of a worker bee for a company making you work nights and weekends. Yeah. There's probably something wrong with that. But if you own equity and your founder, early employee, different game, right? Different game. I think that's where some of this gets lost is all these people were saying work really hard. We're all CEOs and founders and all these people being like, don't, we're all employees. So it's like different, different arguments, like sort of like different, uh, sides of the bar. Yeah. Totally. pretending to be in a bar fight, but actually just talking to each other, I think, in a sense. And I participate in that, too. Uh, okay, so it's poker time. Uh, cities. Cities, yeah. So I think I think cities are really fascinating because when I moved to Provo, I almost felt like I was, like, leaving a cult, like the cult of, like, living in San Francisco, being in a city, all these amazing services, Instacart and all these things, Uber, et cetera. And then moving to Provo, getting a car, which was, like, evil, right? Like, owning a car. Learn, I had to learn how to drive first. Um and it was amazing. Like the sense of freedom I got, like the, the fact that I, could, I had a kitchen, like a whole kitchen that I, you know, like for 800 bucks a month apartment, like I could, you know, drive to a grocery store. I had a car. I could put all my groceries in and just realizing that like there are more, more than one way to live. Yeah. And actually this way to live is safe. It's full of freedom. I have the time so I can cook and eat healthy and figure this thing out. And it's fun. And people live in cities. They have limited space. They might not want to cook all the time. Also Provo, like you're, you're going to go eat out. Food's not amazing in Utah, to be honest. Like not San Francisco level, right? Um, so you can cook like restaurant quality food really easily. Here you just can't. People are freaking like fermenting pickles for 18, 18 hours or, you know, whatever, like doing crazy stuff, right? And it's great. And so I think it's just like understanding that like the lifestyles are very different. Yeah. Um, and I think typically people move to cities for work. We can pretend that it's this beautiful thing, but at the end of the day, that's why most people do it. And I, I would say most people, uh, would not do it honestly without that incentive. And so I think with remote work and other things that might happen, I think San Francisco, uh, cities like San Francisco and New York will be like colleges where people come, they build a network, they learn a lot, they get some credibility. Um, maybe they raise money, do some of these other things, start their career, start their career and then bounce honestly, yeah. because I think you don't need to be here anymore. I could run government from anywhere in the world. Of course I can do that now. I have credibility that will last me a lifetime. Yeah. Um, and, and getting that credibility is really difficult in person or not being in person. Like yeah. it just adds so much. And that will probably be similar for a while. Yeah. Um, but I do think like the, we're, we're, you know, for a long time, we'll still, we'll still see a shift towards cities, but I do, I do think in, in 50 years, a hundred years, like we're going to see a, a mass exodus, which I think will be actually really great yeah. because I think if you, if you can get to like a lot of people talk about climate change and some of these issues, I, I actually think a huge solution to this would be people being self-sufficient, figuring out how to really get off the grid, solar power, raising your own, you know, having local farms and things like that. I think that's a lifestyle that many, many people want. Sort of Peter Thiel, John Galt, buying land in New Zealand is kind of like going for that, right? And so I think you'll see like this almost full circle approach. You get so far to this sort of like hyper city thing that you go all the way around. What do celebrities do when they, they, you know, they they get winter homes and summer homes? So I think that will be more common over time. Uh, Twitter. Twitter. 
Yeah, I love Twitter. I mean, I've always loved Twitter. Uh, your mental model for making sense of Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think Twitter is about picking us. You know, I, I don't want to use the word like vulnerable. I think some people say that, but I think vulnerability is is like is like unguarded. It's just like raw, and I'm just not like I am strategic about it. So I don't want to pretend that I'm like vulnerable or or something like that. But it, I picked up a, a slice of me that I really believe in. That I re- I almost want to be. Like I'm almost, I'm playing a character just like YouTubers and things like that. Like it's edited in a sense, right? So I'm still saying all these things. I just choose, right? When I write this essay, the first draft, seven, eight thousand vomit draft, and then I consolidate it based on like a specific narrative that I want. And so I've kind of picked what I want that to be for me, which is like someone who really believes that anyone can start a company. Do I actually believe that? Literally? No, not everyone can start a company. But I believe in the idea behind it. I often like the mental model really that I go with Twitter is Marvel movies. Like they have all this stuff embedded in them. People love them. No one is going to say that's fake or real. It's, it's, it's this weird, has this really strong emotional resonance. And that's why people love it. And that's kind of what I go for is I go for like an emotional resonance. Like, do I really believe that like, you know, like, I don't know, whatever, whatever thing I've said is, is 100% true. No, but I think the idea is interesting to think about and to let it sit and stir. Will all cities look like colleges? No. And what what does that line mean? When when cities look like colleges? Um, It basically just means that like cities will like colleges are, are this, these like, you know, has, have a specific demographic age place you go to learn for a bit kind of transient, that idea that people come to learn, network, grow, and then start their careers and leave. Whereas currently people come to cities and stay. Right. And so, and it's funny because a great example of this is, is that tweet because like half it seemed like half the replies were like you're an idiot this will never happen you're evil for thinking this because you know the kind of the, the nimby is like the kind of like san francisco is being ruined by tech vibe i think um they were getting from me like oh tech ceo saying that i never said i wanted this that's an important yeah. distinction i never said i said this was a good idea i just said yeah. i think this is going to happen yeah. right and then the other half of my replies were like you're an idiot this has already happened yeah. this is not and i'm like what one one side says this is impossible and one side says it's already happened yeah. and it's purely it's yeah, purely I know it really is but it's a it's purely a perspective thing yeah. and what it is is no one's actually arguing with what I'm saying yeah. they're arguing with what they maybe think I believe or like this this character that they have this slice of and they've constructed right. this entire ideal over now they're arguing with that person who has a lot of followers so maybe they're powerful and they just you know they they should be corrected and they, they're doing bad things with their, with their words or something like that. I think that's kind of what's happening, yeah. you know? Um, and this has happened for a long time. There's a, uh, what parasocial relationships, right? You have, you believe, you know, uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. You don't, yeah. you don't. Why? Because the, every single time you've, you've got, gotten anything from her life, it's yeah. been filtered, edited, confirmed, totally. you know, like, I'm not saying she's lying. I'm not saying yeah. she's evil for doing that, but you just don't know. You know, she picks her nose. Have you ever seen her do that? Yeah. No. no. You know, I, 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 we're, we're, we're complicated creatures and we're not sort of like fully comfortable expressing who we truly are. Yeah. Um, we all do these animalistic things because that's what we are. And I think we all kind of play a more human version of ourselves than we actually are. And I think sometimes I go home and I'm like, what? It's like, does it, you kind of let your, you let your monkey brain talk and you're like, yeah. this is some weird stuff this thing is thinking or saying, but you just like recognize everyone is doing that. And I think just more forgiveness, like that's the thing. I, I don't want to argue with anyone on Twitter. I'm not trying to convince anybody. Yeah. I'm just saying like, this is what I believe. Not even this is what I believe. It's like, this is interesting. Yeah. I frame it a little bit more aggressively maybe than I would in person, yeah. but that's because I want conversation. I want 
just like I'm running this company in this weird way. Am I saying this is the way everyone should? No. But like if I said, hey, a few people might consider that San Francisco, you know, resembles something that looks a little bit like a college. Yeah. And maybe this trend will continue. Boring. No one would comment. Right. Um, you need to simplify messaging. I think that's the one thing I learned from from sure. being around creators all the time is like, like, and what, marketing, same yeah. thing. It's like less is more. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, what, what, just do it. No, not always. <laughs> you know, nothing is impossible. Certainly there are impossible things. Good. You can argue with all these things. Uh, people don't because we, we know what they are yeah. and where, you know, what they mean and what they sort of the emotional resonance behind yeah. that. And so I think that's, I, some, I think something, people should appreciate about Twitter instead yeah. of detest. It's like, look, this is what it is, just like a political ad. And yeah. and uh, we don't need to maybe get so caught up in it because it just, I don't know. I wrote another essay from Bubble to Bubble. Where I talk about moving from San Francisco to Provo. And like, that's the thing I learned was like different dictionaries. Yeah. You say racist in San Francisco, it means something very different than racist in Provo. Yeah. Uh, sexist, feminist, and any of these words. I try, I, I, you know, I try not to even use these words. Yeah. I believe they kind of have like this bell curve, like a half life and like they, they just have too much and then you got to move on and find a different word because it's just too loaded. You know, I would tell someone, I I think we need more diversity in the company and they're like, we have plenty of uh, diversity. I'm like, we literally have said nothing. Like, what do you mean? You know, like we just had an argument without it, without even defining the terms of the argument. And I wish I could do that more. I wish I could just be like, what, please define each and every word you just used so we can make sure that we're having... You know, because so many times someone will be like, I, I disagree with you. I totally disagree with you. That's the whole tweet. And I'm like, what do you disagree with? And they'll say something and I'll reply, I agree with that. <laughs> it, just because I want to show people yeah. we don't disagree. And saying, starting a thought and ending the thought with I totally disagree, which I get all the time on Twitter. Yeah. I'm just like, what's the point of this? Yeah. Well, like, let's, let's, no, the whole point is to get closer, not to just right. I totally disagree. It's like, yeah. So anyways, I get, I can get on my pedestal a little bit, but you know, I'd love Twitter. I think it's a great tool. I just, I think people should just appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. 280 characters or less. We should, if we embrace that and we're comfortable with that, I think we'll all just be happier. Yeah. We'll be less stressed out. That's a good place to wrap. My guest today has been Sahil Lavingia, founder and CEO of Gumroad. Follow Sahil on Twitter at SHL. Yep. At SHL. At Gumroad.com. At Gumroad, uh, at Gumroad, uh, at, at Gumroad, and and uh, at Gumroad.com, yeah, Gumroad.com, and yeah. stay tuned for for more writing, uh, more writing to come. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at VillageGlobal.vc.